You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Christian thinker from the past named Soren Kierkegaard uh, once said that it's only possible to understand ourselves, to understand our identity, if we come to terms with our emotions. What he said was that our emotions tell us some really important things about ourselves, and, and I would agree. I've heard it said before that emotions are like the little lights or the gauges on the dashboard of your car. They indicate what's going on underneath the hood. And in light of the spread of the coronavirus and all the ways that it's impacting us as a community, as a nation, as a globe, um, I think there are a number of warning lights and gauges sort of going out of control on, on our dashboard. And for many of us today, one, one clearly flashing light is angst. Now, angst is a sort of a complicated word to describe and also diagnose because it's not just anxiety. Um, angst is essentially a combo of all of our anxieties muddled up into one ongoing dread about what the future may hold. Deep down, angst. And there are a number of ways that we can deal with angst. We can just ignore it, like many of us with the the little flashing light on our dashboard, we just kind of pretend it's not there and like hope it goes away one day. Or we can justify it. We can say, oh, you know, that's just what cars do. It just makes that noise and the light's on. Uh, or for some of us, we medicate. We try to just sort of dull the angst. Um, or, as I would suggest, we can welcome God into it to meet us in our moment of fear and dread in order for him to reveal his, his character and his power in our moment of need as our present help and our refuge. And in order to do that, I want us to consider a, a psalm today, Psalm 46, and it reads like this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Now, there's, there's a scene in Herman Melville's famous story, Moby Dick, and it's 
this scene where there's a ton of chaos happening and, and this conflict between the raging sea and this sea creature and Captain Ahab and his, his crew, they sort of come to a head as, as this white mass breaks the surface of the water. And the crew then sort of chaotically goes in pursuit of this whale. And as the scene unfolds, it explains all the actions of the sailors. Melville puts it this way. Like desperados, they tugged and they strained. There's this certain sense of turmoil that's occurring on this ship. Every hand is on deck. They're laboring tirelessly. They're not sparing a single ounce of energy. And this scene is remarkable because as much as there's just this frantic movement and chaos occurring among the sailors on this ship, there is one man that stands completely still. He's not running. He's not rushing. He's not shouting. He's not um, swept up in all of the chaos and the commotion and the panic. He's still. And he's steady. And, you know, with these sort of controlled breaths in, out. Why? Because he's the harpooner. And that's his job. He's quiet and he's poised because his job is not to get frantic and to go running around and tugging and pulling and rowing. His job is to stay still, as still as possible. And Melville adds this like bit of commentary at the end of the chapter. He says, to ensure the greatest efficiency in the dart, the harpooners of this world, that's us, I guess, must start to their feet out of stillness and not out of toil. Take to your feet out of stillness and not out of toil and panic. And this is the picture that we get here from Psalm 46. The people of God stand in stillness and they find stability even amidst chaos and panic in this world. Even when it seems like the world is like falling apart and everything around them is crumbling and the nations are roaring, here they are still. When everything falls apart, there is security for the man and the woman that trusts in God. The first thing that we see from this passage here in Psalm 46 is safety in the storm. Look with me again in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, there are two questions that help us to work through our angst. The first question that we have to sort of wrestle is this. It's what is our trouble? What is your trouble? What is causing fear? What is causing panic? What is causing all the commotion? Now, we don't know who this psalmist is, nor do we know the specific circumstance that they, they, they found themselves in and, and the specific occasion that they're writing out of. The, the psalmist describes uh, his, his circumstances as a roaring, foaming sea. Um, in the ancient world, in the time of the psalmist, uh, the sea was, was typically a symbol or a picture of, of untamable chaos, cause for panic. In fact, one commentator, Derek Kidner, put it this way, its robust, defiant tone suggests that it was composed at a time of crisis. 
the psalmist finds himself in a moment of absolute crisis. But we don't know what that crisis is. And I think that's important because the ambiguity seems to be intentional. The ambiguity seems to be for you and for me. See, what we gather is that this is someone who has come face to face with the reality of living in a troubling world. And this is helpful for us because it reminds us that the promise and the promises and the hope that you know, this psalm speaks of, it isn't isolated to one specific situation. These promises aren't just for one specific storm. These promises aren't just for one specific siege or, or, or attack. It, it speaks to the struggles that we face today. It speaks to our moment, to the, to the panic that we face in our historic moment of pandemic. Now, I'm struck by the versatility of this psalm. This is a psalm that I have read uh, to men and women on their deathbed. This is a psalm that I have read to men and women in times of struggle, like losing their job or children. And this is a psalm that I have been meditating on over the last few weeks amidst all the pressures and confusion that we've been facing as a community, as a nation, as a globe. And today, God is once again uh, inviting us to get very honest about our trouble, to be honest with God, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with our community, that the world that we live in is chaotic. This is a chaotic moment. And God is offering us his word to give us the words and the vent of our hearts to be able to voice some of those fears, to, to speak them out to God. Last Sunday, as you know, we uh, were una unable to gather corporately for our normal meeting at 1030. Um, but the leaders, the elders and deacons and, and staff of the church met and spent some just intentional time seeking the Lord and praying and praising and crying out and interceding on behalf of the world and this community and our loved ones. And there was a moment in, in the middle of our prayer where I felt just like this overwhelming sort of compelling from God to invite all the leaders to, to begin to, to voice their particular fears to God and to one another as a way of welcoming God into uh, you know the struggle, and then also as a way of like diffusing those fears. There's there's something about speaking them before God, like shining the light on those fears that sort of diffuses their enslaving power. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you to do that in this moment as well, to think through and to consider what do you fear most right now, and invite you to to. to to just say it to God. He can handle it. I mean, he, and he knows it. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're thinking more than you know what you're thinking. This is an opportunity to, to voice those fears. Maybe it's fear of dying. Maybe you're like a lot of people and you're just afraid to die. Or maybe the fear isn't necessarily of you dying, but a loved one, someone that you care about very much, dying. Voice that to God. Or maybe it's not even really about death as much as it's about concerns, you know, like you're afraid that you're going to lose the life that you've had before, the comforts that you've worked so hard for. Maybe it's fear that you're going to 
lose your job or maybe it's fear, I mean, really practically, that you're going to run out of food or voice those fears to God. Now, while this psalm leads us toward honesty, it also leads us to hope. And the good news is that when we face trouble, the psalmist tells us there is a very present help. See, it's not just what is your trouble. I think the more important question is this. Who is with us in our trouble? Who is our very present help? No less than four times the psalmist says, God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. God is this is the point he's trying to make. Friends, God is with us. He's closer to us than we are to ourselves. As much as you can rely on the fact that, that challenge is going to come your way, the psalmist reminds you that the presence of God is all the more reliable. And so for this reason, he says, Therefore, we will not fear. Because God is near, we have no reason to fear. See, I think this is what the psalmist is saying, is that the more overwhelmed we are, by God's presence, the less overwhelmed we will, we will be by our fears. Let me say that again. The more overwhelmed we are by the presence of God, the less overwhelmed we will find ourselves by our very real fears. The psalmist says elsewhere in Psalm 23, famously, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Because you're with me. And what that means then is that the presence of your God is better than the absence of your suffering. God with you is greater than a life free of suffering. See, the lesson that we learn in seasons like the one that we're in is that it would be more dreadful to live a life of ease without God than a life of suffering in fellowship with God. Listen to the words of C.H. Spurgeon. He says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. That's the question that we need to, to ponder. Have we learned to kiss the wave that throws us upon the rock of ages, that casts us into the presence of God? This is what the psalmist has discovered. He's saying, my world is falling apart. And the sea, the chaos, it, it just doesn't seem to be stopping but you are my refuge and my strength, and therefore I will not fear. I think something that we come to grips with, I'm coming to grips with still in my life, is that we are not in control. We just can't. And like moments like this in our, this, this historic moment confronts us with the reality. We just can't control. And, and we can't control what goes on around us, but we are able to determine how we respond. And we are able to, to determine where we turn in, in moments like these. And what we see here in the scriptures is that for the one who finds shelter in God, there is a beautiful promise, and it's found in verse 4. It says this, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. 
Now notice the contrast here in this, in this, this psalm. There's the raging sea foaming and bringing chaos, and then right in the middle of it is this peaceful river bringing gladness. Striking contrast. Huge difference. And that's the promise that uh, God offers to those who trust in him, that, that peaceful river right in the midst of it. Now, here's the question. Is this a change of circumstances? Has God plucked his people out of the chaos of the sea and brought them into this peaceful, tranquil place? No. He's, if I'm reading this right, he's still in the midst of the storm. He's still, you know, in threat's way. He, he still might, might, might not make it out of the storm alive. He may die. but he's safe in God's hands. This tells of a man or a woman experiencing heavenly peace in the midst of worldly panic. And I think this is what is meant by safety in the storm. The second thing we see in the psalm is stability in the unsettledness. Stability in the unsettledness. In the midst of this turbulent sea and the earth giving way and the mountains trembling and it says like the kingdoms of this world are are tottering back and forth. Look at the promise given to the believing community in in verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. In the midst of all this chaos, God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. She shall be steady. There is stability found in abiding relationship with our faithful covenant-keeping God. Now, there was a 17th century philosopher named Blaise Pascal who came up with this idea of the wager. And the wager essentially says that all people are staking their life on something. Whether you believe it or not, you are betting your life, your existence, your future, even your eternity on something. The choice is yours, what you're going to stake your life on, but you don't have a choice to stake your life on something. We're all betting on something. We're all staking our existence on something. And what we find in in moments like we find ourselves in right now that we're all betting our future on something or someone. Today, it's doctors or health officials or the CDC or political powers or fill in the blank. Uh, Some of us are betting our future on our own health. I mean, to get really practical, some of us are betting our future on our ability to wisely stockpile. But overwhelm or angst begins to kick in when we begin to see those things that we have been counting on begin to fail us. When we read the news and we realize that doctors are really stumped and that health officials thought one thing and now things are changing or when sickness comes close to home and our own health is at risk or we begin to see our little stockpile draining The psalmist makes something very clear when he mentions these mountains being moved into the sea. See, mountains were, and I think still are today, like the most permanent 
fixture in all of creation. Like mountains are mountains. They just stay there and they've been there forever. And yet, there it is, this, this, this sort of word picture here. The mountains are shaking. <laughs> They're trembling. And our world finds itself in that place today. In, in, in times like right now, the things that we assumed would be so stable are being threatened. Our health, our jobs, even for some of us, our loved ones. So Psalm 46 moments are really opportunities for, for the believing community. And maybe for those who have not yet put their trust in, in Christ, Psalm 46 moments, like the one that we find ourselves in right now, are opportunities to transfer our trust off of shaky things that are going to let us down and into the person and on the person where, where it truly belongs. Look at me in verse 8 through 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Where is stability found in, in the midst of panic? It's found in that growing confidence that we receive as we continue to entrust ourselves and our loved ones and our, our whole lives to God. In moments of faith. Now listen to how Martin Luther describes faith. He, he describes it like this. Faith is a living, daring confidence on God's grace so sure and certain that a man would stake his life on it a thousand times. Daring confidence. And I think this is the kind of trust that is called upon in moments like these. But I have to assume you, like myself, are asking this question then. Where do I find a faith like that? What do I do when, when I don't feel very confident? When I'm not feeling very mighty in my trust? And, and how can I find a confident? Where do I find a confident faith? And I believe the answer is this. It's by remembering the lengths that God was willing to already go in order to rescue you by remembering that God sent his, his only son to be sacrificed for you, his son taking upon himself our storm on, on the cross in order to, to offer us and to welcome us into the refuge of his salvation. Jesus took the chaos so that we could get God's peace. And, and it's by remembering that he has delivered you from a greater threat than pandemic proportions, a greater threat than the one that we're facing in the midst of the coronavirus right now. He has healed us of the disease of sin and washed us in the pure blood of Jesus Christ. It's by remembering that God has given us new life through his resurrection. It's by remembering that God is at work to renew the inner man and the inner woman through the gift and presence and ministry of his Holy Spirit with us. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. He says, what then shall we say to these things? What? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? What can come against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What? See, what we need most in this moment, what you need most in this moment, God will offer to us. And the hope that we have, the realistic hope that Paul gives us is that God is too invested at this point to not give you everything that you now need to persevere and to stay within his kind, sovereign grip of grace. Finally, we see here in Psalm 46, stillness in the chaos. Now, there's an extremely popular Christian phrase in this psalm that I'm sure that you have heard or seen somewhere like online or in social media over the last few weeks. And it's, you know, it's in uh, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. You've probably seen that. You've probably heard that. You've probably even recited that to yourself at this point. And the idea is that the calming presence of God comes up next to us and whispers in our ears, be still, I'm with you, it's okay. We, we, we get this visual of the whisper of God, and, and it's a great visual, but here's the problem. That's not what the psalmist is talking about here. We see elsewhere in scripture, God speaks in the still small voice like to Elijah. And that is a hope that we have. But that's not what the psalmist is talking about. The voice of God that the psalmist is talking about is found in verse 6 when he says, he utters his voice and the earth melts. This isn't the faint, kind voice of God. This is the commanding shout of God. It's not a whisper into the believer's ears. This is a violent shout into the chaos of this world. And like Jesus, as he stood up on the edge of the boat as all the disciples are like panicking and freaking out in the storm, and he stands up, and with the commanding voice of God, he says, be still, and the storm ceases. Friend, I think that that is the voice that you need to hear most in this season. It's the powerful voice of God shouting into the panic moment of our lives and saying, be still. This is not a frail God. This is a mighty God that the psalmist says will be exalted among the nations and exalted throughout the earth. And I believe that as you get your eyes on this God, as you begin to behold the wondrous works of this victorious King, that you too will find the stillness that you need in this moment of panic and chaos and unsettledness. To close, I want to read the first question and answer, answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. And this is something that I've been reciting to myself and reciting to, to many of the members here at Reality all week long. And it goes like this. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer 
that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And that's my prayer for you, that Christ, by his Holy Spirit, would make you wholeheartedly willing to live for him in a moment where it's required of you.